Hey there, space fans, and to our friends in the spaceflight community. Welcome to a new episode of the Supercluster Podcast. Today is January 24th, 2023. You are listening to this on January 31st, 2023. So hello from the past. The reason we are recording a week early is because we have a an awesome friend on the show today who has been with us before, Ben Lamb. Ben is a software entrepreneur. I like to say he's a serial founder, serial entrepreneur, has worked with us in the space world for quite a while uh, with Hypergiant. And now he is the co-founder and CEO of Colossal Biosciences the world's first de-extinction company. I can't believe I'm saying those words and uh, makes me feel like I'm in the future. Welcome back to the show, Ben. Thanks, Robin, for having me. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, when you say those words, it kind of freaks me out. I was like, oh my gosh, I am. I know, it's crazy, right? It's crazy to think that Colossal Biosciences was started in September 2021. It feels like it's been longer with these announcements have come um, regularly. You guys are... You're making strides in what you promised to do when you first announced your company, and that was to bring back the woolly mammoth. I feel like you've come so far since that announcement. I'm going to jump right into saying it. The embargo lifted today. Colossal Biosciences has raised a Series B of $150 million, which is extraordinary, and you're forming the Avion Genomics Group, which will pursue the de-extinction of the dodo bird. Oh my God! Are you are you are are you are you stressing Ben? Because that's a, quite a thing to come out and say. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely you know hopefully it'll be you know backed by popular demand. It's been great. You know we we've we've had just incredible support from our investors like Thomas Tall and others like like Jim Breyer and others that that have kind of supported us from day one. And the strides that we've made on the de-extinction of the mammoth, as well as all the progress on the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine, given the success that we've had there and given that we've got, we've pulled together this world-renowned group of, of scientists, both internally at Colossal, as well as some of our scientific advisors like Beth Shapiro. You know, Beth had been working on the, you know, Dodo genome for years, and there just hasn't been enough people that are focused on avian genomics because most people focus on mammalian work and mammalian editing and, and, and somatic cell nuclear transfer and other things. So because it has long-term application to both livestock and, and you know, potentially human healthcare, and there's just not enough focus on, on avian. And so, you know, knowing that, you know, Beth is a close advisor to the company and given that she and George and Lou Vidala and Michael Hoffreiter and a few others uh, were kind of the, some of the pioneers of the ancient DNA movement and the de-extinction movement, you know, we thought that the Dodo was the next best project for us to work on it and get started with Colossal. There's a lot of innovations to do around avian genomics, which you know we think has massive application to uh, avian, not just avian genetics, but also into avian conservation. So it's, it's definitely an interesting project. And I will say that ever since launch, we have been flooded with requests for the Dodo. So you know, maybe this is one of those might have been me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Simple. yeah. <laughs> it is the symbol of, you know, man-made, man-caused, or man-at-least-influenced extinction, right? It, it, it's a, like, I don't know what, we don't know, obviously, what ecosystem restoration components could be of the extinction of the dodo and the reintroduction of the dodo. But we do we do think that it's, it, it's a symbol of extinction that we need to fix. Now, Dr. Beth Shapiro, pretty well-known paleogeneticist, she has a quote here and I'd like to read it. The dodo is a prime example of a species that became extinct because we, people, made it impossible for them to survive in their native habitat. Now, 
Would you say this quote resonates with the vision of Colossal and goes into choosing which species you will pursue for a resurrection? Yeah, I think I think you know best spot on. Any any species that we bring back, we we want to actually work to rewild. We work with governments, local governments, national governments, country governments. We also work with indigenous people groups, private landowners, the public at large. And so anything that we bring back, we, we want to, you know, obviously rewild. So, so uh, you know, I think that her quote's, you know, kind of spot on for kind of like the vision of, of what we want to achieve with, with Colossal on the rewilding front. You know, obviously we have a lot of technological goals that we also want to achieve with the company. But from a rewilding perspective, I think, I think she's spot on. And what's interesting about, you know, the Dodo, which, you know, when it's, Extinct, and I think around 1662 is at least the last sighting of a dodo that, that we know of. The the Mauritian government, the Mauritian Mauritius, is just in, has done a really great job of like preserving the ecosystems, not just of Mauritius, but surrounding islands around the, the main island in, in Mauritius. And and so there there is a there's lots of viable locations for rewilding that are well protected, protected, well established. You know, outside of the mankind actually hunting the dodo we as a species reintroduced species onto the island that were actually you know pretty negatively in that negatively influenced uh like wild pigs rats uh even a even a, a species of monkeys that actually you know obviously affected the uh extinction rate of and actually found dodo eggs ate dodo eggs actually help lead to that extinction. So it's kind of a, it was completely man influenced in both with direct hunting and the introduction of, of invasive species. So if we can, you know, not just bring back the dodo, I think that we've got some prime locations and we have a country that's, you know, very well known for the dodo. So I think that, that in collaboration with them, we can look to actually rewild them. Now, the dodo bird was last spotted on this island nation of Mauritius in 1662. And uh, it's, extraordinary that it's been so long the dodo for me is still the the icon of extinction when i learned about extinction as a phenomenon growing up as a kid the dodo bird was the prime example that they used in my elementary school in new york city and our education around animal extinction and sort of that you know that jump off point to talk about naturalism and nature and protecting the environment it all started with the dodo bird for many people wasn't isn't it it's so iconic that it's like when we when we think about this when we say like when we think about eagles or think about pigeons or think about you know which the dodo is actually a pigeon what's interesting is like most people when i talk to them about the dodo they actually say exactly what you're saying rob and they say the dodo bird it's so iconic that we even add like you know we don't we don't say like you know mammoth elephant and we don't you know it's like we, we you know we, we don't say like you know dialysis more it, it has its own unique symbol not in just in in extinction but the fact that people also will call it like the dodo bird like it's funny that you're it's it's fun to hear other people say it because they a lot of the times people don't just say dodo they they say the dodo bird it has just become so iconic and it's it just I, I think that just kind of adds the lore of it that it, it was it's such a unique thing in in everyone's mind that we even like even classify it and, and go, we, we take a step further than that bird of it. I, I always just find that. Super it is funny. funny. Yeah. So you said that Colossal talks to various nations, organizations and things like that. When planning for the future of this, you know, this research and this rewilding, I mean, the end game here would be to, well, not the end game, but a significant milestone would be to rewild the dodo back on Mauritius, right? Would that be like the primary 
goal? That's the primary goal, and and uh, with with the 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 extinction aspects of of the dodo is is you know our our goal. George and I like to say that our goals aren't just to, to achieve de extinction, but to actually rewild the species and have sustainable populations um, back in the wild that that are interbreedable and, and can create you know long term sur- survival. And, and so th- that's the de extinction aspects. But what's re- what's equally interesting is you know you can't clone birds or you can't really do somatic cell nuclear transfer in birds. So what's interesting one, one of the things that was fascinating to us from a scientific perspective is really looking at uh, the PGCs and looking at editing primordial germ cells. So we're not really doing that on the mammoth or on the thylacine projects because we have somatic cell nuclear transfer, which is you know, betterly known as cloning, to actually move the nucleus from you know one cell type to, to a germ or egg cell. In in birds, we don't have that. Or we, where I should say is probably better characterized is we can't really do that at the stage we need to do that so the the most likely way to achieve it is actually making transgenic birds which mike mcgrew one of our advisors has 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 done in chickens before and it's been done in ducks and other things so it's really interesting to me because outside of the the de-extinction efforts you know the the now the three projects that we have going on at colossal with the mammoth the thylacine and, and now the the dodo bird, it gives us a, a whole other area to, to innovate on that could have applications not just to avian genomics, but back into mammalian genomics, working with these primordial germ cells, which, which we're not working on uh, as, a, as a primary focus in the on the mammalian work. So it's also a an interesting kind of way for us to to really innovate in these new technology areas that, that we're also excited about. Now, I want to put myself in the shoes of a PhD student or, you know, someone in the field who their their research was the dodo and they're getting a phone call from you in colossal biosciences. So obviously you're you're talking to researchers and scientists who've studied this animal. What are their reactions? And you don't have to name names, but what are their reactions when colossal biosciences tells these scientists or researchers, you know, I think that this animal that you've been studying for eight years we're going to try and bring that back. We're going to try and rewild that animal. What is their reaction to you? Well, most most of the people that are studying the ancient DNA are obviously very, very passionate about it. Obviously, with George, with the mammoth, Luba Dolan, with the mammoth, Beth, with the dodo. And, and then, you know, even folks with Andrew Pass, like the thylacine. Andrew Pass has worked on the thylacine for 15 years. And so I would say it's generally met with lots of excitement because those that are pretty informed and, and are keeping up with the latest technologies understand that we have the technology to do this. It's a lot of these things are our focuses and funding issues. It's kind of like, you know, going back to our our space routes, right, Robin? It's like we have the technologies and we've had the technologies to get to the moon, right? We have the technologies to get to Mars. Like, do we have, you know, fusion and FTL? No. And so there are certain things that are currently out of the question, right? But I wouldn't say necessarily are impossible. But we we have those technologies and it's really just you know, really smart women and men in, in ingenuity to focus with the right vision behind it. That's why I believe that SpaceX will be a will allow Earth humans from Earth to become a, a multiplanetary species because they have the vision. You know, they have the right team and they've got the right capital and they and they, they kind of have the right ingredients and in, in kind of they're so mission driven and the technologies exist. And so when we call people like Beth and other people to get them on board, they know the technologies exist. But you know, there, there's been other initiatives or, you know, in academic labs and nonprofits that have been focusing on de-extinction. And the only reason we haven't ex- achieved it in some of the in, in some of these bigger cases is it just didn't have 
the right, you know, cross collaboration across in both industry and academia, didn't have the right focus and didn't have the right funding. The tools were there, the know-how was there, but you really needed to assemble the team together and then give it the right resources to succeed. Right. And funding and talent are very important. And so, so far with Thylacine and the William Mammoth, your teams have grown to between 30 and 40 each. Is that correct to say for those teams? Yeah. So right now we're at 83 people and I think your splits, it's right. Every day we're adding more people. And th- those are just the full-time employees. We also have 30 people in academic labs and partnerships that we don't count in those, in those numbers. So it's around 30. And Avian Genomics Group, you're hoping to grow that team into a similar size over the next few months to a year? I, I think that most, I mean, the, what's interesting about the Avian Genomics Group is that it's applying some of the, the editing technologies to birds. It's really getting the culture conditions right on the primordial germ cells. But then the gestation side's, you know, obviously significantly easier than using host, existing living host on, on kind of some of the surrogacy projects that were seriously work that we're working for, for the mammoth of the thylacine. You know, we, we do have an ex utero development team. So we have a 17 person team that's working on just ex utero development and in kind of the early stages of placental interfaces and microfluidics and hydrogel systems for artificial womb development. Uh, we're making some early successful projects, but what's interesting about the birds is we, we just don't need any of that. Right. And so if the, the, the PGC model, which is built, you know, has worked with, transgenic ducks and other and, and chickens, we, we know it philosophically works. And so it's really just about, you know, tuning and getting it right. So I don't know if the team will have to be quite as large, but, you know, I think it'll be a 15, you know, 15 person teamish. Now, would you consider Colossal Biosciences to be a global company? Because I know you travel a lot, Ben, and obviously you're meeting with researchers and, and scientists and such around the world. But do you see it because is Colossal based in Texas right now? Yeah, so we're based in Dallas. Some of the, the two of the best places in the world to do genetic engineering with animals is Texas and Australia, mostly due to the, the regulation from the cattle industry. And so we do have a lab in Australia. We do have a lab in Boston as well. But mostly, you know, I, I do think of us more of it as an international company. You know, while we're based in the United States, you know, when, and we've got collaborations worldwide, we work with, you know, folks in Stockholm, we work with people in Germany, we work with people in South Africa. We work with people in Kenya. We work with people in, in you know, pre-war in, 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 in Siberia. A lot of that's kind of like uh, tampered out right now, just given the, the the current conditions. But there's incredible folks at the Russian Academy of Sciences that we've collaborated with before and hope to collaborate with again. You know, we, we work with people in Australia. We work with people in Mauritius. So it is a very global, you know, a, approach, right? Even though a lot of the core science is centered here, you know, because it doesn't just take the core technologies, the labs and the scientists. It also takes incredible, you know, it takes, you know, research assistants and, and, and teams in the field that are getting samples. It takes different partners for different parts of the scientific work that we send out. It takes, you know, large private landowners, indigenous people groups, governments to work with them on our long-term strategy. So even though we're years away from reintroducing uh, any of these species back into the wild, we're starting all those conversations now because it's not about getting kind of those sign-offs, but actually working to collaborate with them to ensure best practices to learn from them. And so I I feel like it's weird. We live in a world of post-COVID where a lot of people are there's some form of post-COVID where a lot of us are, a lot of people can work remote. And we decided to build an in-person company, but also has extensions with lots of required traveling. You know, 
Zoom is great, but it, it, it doesn't do the same as, you know, unless you've been to Tasmania and met with the Tasmanian government, indigenous people, and, and actually stayed and camped on the land and, and like understand that perspective. It, it definitely, I don't think you can be as impactful as if, you, if you've been there and actually talked to people that some of these species have a, a still meaningful impact on. Right. I mean, it's not just okay, we're rewilding and then moving on. This is a project that will last almost beyond your lifetime. Sorry, yeah, Ben. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so. yeah, and I, the project will have to obviously continue to study these animals post-rewilding and continue that research for decades. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that uh, what, what's great about Wild Colossal is a company. I do think that it is one movement against climate change and it's one movement around loss of biodiversity, right? Like George, I on a call the other day where they were talking about some of the ecosystem restoration work that, that can come from some of the species that we're working on and people get excited, but sometimes people, you know, kind of jump to the conclusion that Colossal is the solve for some of these things. And we're just not right. We're, we're a small piece in a much larger tapestry of solutions that needs to be put together, you know, to like combat biodiversity. I think outside of the science and the rewilding, I think the biggest thing that we can be doing is bringing awareness to these really hard issues that we need. You know, we need 20 colossals out there that are solving all kinds of biodiversity loss, not just the big de-extinction. Do you see any coming up behind you guys? Do you see any labs that might have a similar vision and might go about it the same way? You brought up SpaceX earlier. Folks saw what they were doing and they're like, okay, there's clearly some kind of, there's a path here to this end goal. Do you see that happening after Colossal or are you still, are you guys still waiting for that industry to arise? Well, I, I don't know if everyone sees the industry that we do. We, we look at it very Bell Labs-ish, right? Where we're developing technologies that we think have applications to human healthcare. I think a lot of people would rather just go build those individual, you know, companies, right? We're, we're kind of taking this different uh, approach to it. And, you know, it's a, it's somewhat a, its own science experiment and in, in the business modeling and in the approach. And so far, you know, we just spun out form bio and raised $30 million for that. And so early indications look like it will work, which is exciting. Uh, you never know as an entrepreneur, how these things, you know, uh, get affected. But I, I, I do think that, you know, unlike some of those other industries and other companies like in the space industry, you know, we've exclusively licensed some of the technologies, right. And, you know, we, we've also pulled together, you know, the world experts. I think there's probably more world experts in the in, in some of the engineering and and rocketry and other fields than than there are kind of in in this industry. You know the the ancient TNA industry. But but I do I, I I do think that you know while there's been others like you know Virgin Orbit and Blue and others that have come up after SpaceX, I, I still think that you know and they're all pushing different types of innovations. I still see SpaceX as the leader in that. And I think they have different missions. Like I, I don't really hear the same mission focus from some of the other folks as we do from space, from SpaceX, right? Like they're very focused on, you know, making consciousness that we know of in, you know, interplanetary. And, and I don't see that same mission from others. And so I do hope there's more biodiversity companies that, come up the the only people that we know of outside of traditional conservation groups are there are a lot of academic labs that are working on different types of applications of synthetic biology to conservation and and i hope that the world of conservation sees 
those labs, co- companies like Colossal as collaborators and potential, you know, tools and new tools in their tool belts, you know, against kind of the, the, the fight of extinction that we're all facing. There's a startling number here. The World Wildlife Fund says in the last 50 years, that Earth's wildlife population has plunged by an average of 69% due to human activity, which is pretty crazy. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely insane. It, it, it's insane. And I, I think we've seen like little breaks from like COVID and other things like how it can restore. And it can, I think it can restore pretty quick if it's it's left alone. We're just, we're just not leaving it alone. We're like, that is something. We're just powering like, through. Like, yeah. Well, yeah Humanity is just terrible about it. Right. And so it's like, we, we are not good at leaving stuff alone. Like we're too curious and we're too t- terrible as a, as, as a species. But, you know, one of the things that we're passionate about and we'd hope others do is any technology that we develop for conservation, we subsidize. We want the world to have them. We're open. We're, we want to give everything that we develop that has doesn't have applications to human healthcare, but has direct applications to conservation. We want to give that to the world for free, you know? And so our goal is with, you know, kind of these de-extinction projects, we're making this de-extinction toolkit. And one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is this extra development system, because if we can get, you know, somewhat species-independent artificial wombs, and I don't know if that'll ever work. I think it may there may be some level of, of customization for every, uh, at least for every placental type, which before I started Colossal, I didn't even know there were different placental types. I thought kind of everything grew in a biological bag and a walking biological bag with like an umbilical cord, but that's actually not the case. So, you know, I, I think that if we can get some of these kind of more, what's interesting to me, and it, it, I think it's weird because it's all about perspective, right? Because I'm inside Colossal, so I'm in the labs already. I see the progress. <laughs> what's, what's interesting to me is, the, the the parts of the project that seem more science fiction to me are the are the uh, placental interface components of the artificial womb. Like the artificial womb doesn't seem that far for me. A lot of the the de extinction projects just don't seem that far for me, right? It's like because I, I see the progress and know right. It. You see the daily progress I see, of I see it. The yeah. daily, so it's weird. You get kind of accustomed a to kind of just feel and, and see the progress. So you, you're, I would say that you know they're not challenges, but they're not very hard compared to what we are or what we're working on, on the exudor development. But if we can get exudor development, right. And even on a placental basis uh, in mammals, I think that we could, you know, radically change conservation. You know, there's a lot of work that's going into the Northern white rhino restoration, but the, the Northern white rhino, regardless of whether you feel like it's a species or subspecies, there's some debate over that, but ultimately you know, there's two females left. They're functionally extinct. And so if, if we can grow a hundred of them in the lab or provide the technologies, you know, that are subsidized for free to groups that can grow a hundred of them and then work with top tier rewilding experts to, to reintroduce them, we can save, you know, generations of species. The story of the white rhino is so tragic. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's not alone, right? And so I do think that some of these new innovative uh, and disruptive models to conservation are what we need because what we do know is that the current conservation, while it works on at a certain scale, it doesn't work at all scales, right? And so, you know, right around the corner, the Sumatran rhinos will be the north, the next northern white rhinos. You know, there's, I think, there's probably less than forty left in 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 the world, and the Indonesian government and other people are at least aware of it, and they don't want it to go the way of the northern white rhinos. So there's at least employing current technologies. Uh, around conservation, but, you know, they need next generation technologies of how we use gametogenesis to make egg cells. How do we biobank that? 
How do we use, you know, intraspecies surrogacy or, you know, uh, extra development to, to, to just it even more. And so these are things that sound, you know, especially if you're new to the topic, super fringy, but those technologies are right around the corner. And so I think that, that there's a huge opportunity here to, to really push the envelope of conservation with these tools. In the announcement of the news today, there's a note here about the formation of a conservation advisory board. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we learn a lot from the general public. We learn a lot from, we actually learn a lot from critics. You know, not everyone loves what we're doing. Uh, I like to say that we learn a lot from informed critics. Some people that just don't like what we're doing, but aren't informed, aren't overly helpful. But we, we constantly seek that feedback, whether it's positive or negative, to, to help in tune what we're doing. And so when we started the company, we built a you know world-renowned scientific advisory board with you know people like Carolyn Bertozzi and Austin Gallagher and David Hausler and and, and, and you know Mike Hoffreiter and, and all these top names in, in, in these various fields of science. And then you know we really wanted to say, you know, are we doing, you know, how does this apply to the government? How does this apply to education and content? So then we started talking to, you know, Richard Garriott's of the world, Kevin Mayer's of the world and, and others and, and, and people like Linda Avey, you know, who's one of the co-founders of 23andMe and, and, and really helped kind of make DNA sequencing, you know, mainstream. And so we, we built, so then we thought, okay, well, we have the scientific advisory board, let's make an executive advisory board. But then as we've gotten deeper, you know, in, in starting to look at you know, rewilding is, is our end goal. It's like, how do we bring, you know, top people like Doug, who's, you know, the head of Fish and Wildlife in Alaska and Forrest Galante, who's, uh, I don't know if you know Forrest, but Forrest actually had a show on Discovery where he would go out and find species that people thought were extinct that still exist, right? And so how do you pull people like, you know, Peter Knights, who founded, you know, Wild Aid together and, and Jim Coates, who's a top permafrost expert and Aurelia Skipworth, who used to be, the head of fish and wildlife, you know, for the entire United States. So how do you pull these women and men together that also care a lot about conservation and can then look at the practical application of not just rewilding, but applying our technologies to conservation? And so it's funny, you know, we start out with a scientific advisory board. Now we have a scientific advisory board, an executive advisory board and a conservation board. And, you know, we meet with them regularly. These are not just, you know, names on a piece of paper for us. These are people that are very actively engaged in, in our work, which is really exciting. Well, you're adding to a pool of knowledge. It seems like that includes opposing voices and supporting voices, and that's really important. Ben, I want to close the show today. Obviously, congrats on this announcement, and, cl- and congrats to Colossal Biosciences for uh, marching on this way. But you're a nerd, and you're a space nerd. I'm a, I'm a, and, uh, I'm a giant nerd. <laughs> I want, yeah, I want to, too much sci-fi. I want to close this show with just getting your quick reactions to a couple of things. Since you've last been on the show, space has done a bunch of crazy stuff. I I already know what you think about SpaceX. You see that NASA's SLS has launched. The Artemis missions are getting off the ground. Are you excited about that stuff? You know, uh, uh, this is a, it's a great question. I, I hate, I feel like people are going to hate my answer here, but, but not really. And, and, And let me tell you why I feel like the, SLS, while a huge feat, I think there's opportunities to build partnerships with Blue Origin and and with SpaceX and other and, and other space companies. I, I feel like NASA should be focused less on the rocketry side of this, and I think the SLS is an incredible feat. But I think we're going to have 
I think it's going to be quickly outdated technology because we see at the pace that it almost already is in a way. I, and you're, I, I you're didn't want to say anything that's too controversial. I don't, don't worry. Say that, that, <laughs> but but no. I, I feel like NASA's incredible women and men that that started all this right on some level, and and, and so uh, with some other governments as well, obviously. But but I do think that for 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 for, for NASA, I think that they're focused on you know, next generation of, of probes for, you know, beyond like local solar, right? Like beyond Earth, Moon, Mars, like let, let's like NASA should be focused, in my opinion, on doing stuff of like, let's look for life in, in the upper atmospheres of Venus. Let's let's go look at Titan. Let's let's look at planetary defense. Let's look at, at at some of these other things. And obviously, I think, you know, I'm on the advisory board for the scientific advisory board for the planetary society. So care a lot about space advocacy. But I do think that I'm excited about Moon and Mars. I'm excited about both. I think a lot of people pick one or the other. But I will say that, you know, I'm not excited about SLS because I, I just think that there's a better use of that brain power. And I feel like that there's a commoditization that's already starting to occur, not only on on Leo, but on Geo. And so I, I, I just think that, you know, I'm excited about NASA and I'm excited about space exploration. But I just think that those dollars, I think we should, should just say these other folks have won the rocket race and where can we innovate? And I just don't think that we need to reinvent some of those wheels. Well, your opinion is not controversial, my friend. So don't worry, you have not created more enemies. My last uh, thing here, because you and I geek out about UAPs before. And have you? do you follow that world at all? Uh, I do. I, I, I do. And, you know, I, I want to build things where I'm passionate, right? And it's like, I, I don't know what the UAP business would be. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, but I do, I do follow it. And I find it massively fascinating. You know, I, I know people all over that from the extreme skeptics to, you know, like Brandon Fugel is an investor in Colossal. And, and you know, I, I, I love Brandon. He's got lots of big, crazy, awesome ideas. I know some of the, you know, no Chris Mella and no, uh, no Loon. I know some of that ATIP crowd, right? So I, yeah, some of them are friends of the show as well. They're great. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're fantastic. I also know some of the very big skeptics, but you know, here's what, you know, I think it's scientifically impossible to assume that we are alone. And I think that if something only had a thousand years, which is pretty small in our evolution, you know, if we were thinking about humanity, if we don't destroy ourselves a thousand years from now, what it could look like, right? I think it'll be vastly different. And so it's not like these, you know, anything would have to, you know, necessarily be, you know, billions of years more advanced. But so what's interesting is I find the UAP concept absolutely fascinating. I'm glad there's more public disclosure and more public debate. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense. And so... Unless these are massive instrument failures that are weirdly consistent with eyewitness testimony and other seemingly <laughs> broken stuff, then either we've got some really cool stuff that no one's ever talked about. I, I doubt it's adversarial or, or I doubt it's our human-based adversarial work because if it was, I think we'd all be speaking other languages if you have – because you because some of these things that we've at least observed – uh, or at least are, are you know potentially observed, whatever you want to define it as, on these FLIR and other things. If they are you know actually completing some of the maneuverability that being reported to us by you know top tier journals like the New York Times, then, then I think that it's not just their capabilities, but even their power sources, right? And so, so I think that the the capabilities you would need, not just in propulsion or in you know 
new exotic variants of propulsion are hard and you know seemingly impossible today for humanity. But I don't like to say anything's impossible. But but you know I think the power sources themselves and the power required you know is insane. I, I think it's a. I, I love that your last question is like a four hour. I know, I know. I really put you on the spot. Yeah, but but... I mean, look, I'm super fascinated <laughs> in the topic. You know, I, I think it's mathematically improbable that we are. I mean, we're at the point with synthetic biology that we're starting to engineer life, right? And right, so, right. Of course. So we're like, so let, let's see how that you know evolves, and where where is synthetic biology? You know, a thousand years from now, well, where's power creation and, and energy creation and sustainment as well as propulsion technology a thousand years from it's unclear so i i just I, i'm very fascinated with it and you know i, I every day I, I hope there's new news about it because it's fun to read it is and uh ben thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show today and to unpack this amazing news with us as a fan of animals not being extinct i'm really excited about yeah, the too. future of uh, future of colossal biosciences and just excited in general about the future because it seems like companies like yours and the companies we have in our world here in the space industry things are moving forward to some degree and it's really awesome to see new science and new technology being developed it's awesome to see so many scientists and researchers putting and pooling their individual expertise towards something really big like this. And there's going to be a day where one of these creatures are rewilded for the first time by your company. And, and that's going to be a big moment in history. You know, we'll keep covering the story. We'll keep having uh, Ben back on the show as these milestones move forward. And Ben, I hope that one day we will grab you back in the space industry to build us a warp drive or <laughs> something really, really awesome. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm very passionate, as you know, about space. And so it's, it is not in my rearview mirror. It's just not my, my current focus. The, the team at Hypergiant is doing incredible stuff right now around common operating pictures and, and using AI and satellites. So they, they continue to progress on with, you know, my, some support of mine, but not much. And I, I will say that, you know, at, at some point, I, I hope to do more in the industry. And that's awesome. Thank you, Ben. 